Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tillamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. Hello, good evening and welcome. This is Country Life, but... It's with me, David Hollywood, this evening in place of MJ Cleary. He'll be back next week. We've put together a packed show this evening. As we can all see and experience, it's unreal weather at the moment. We could have done with some rain earlier than it came, obviously, but uh, the compensation is there for everyone else to see and enjoy. The sun does bring to the fore the question of farm safety under the sun. It may be one of those things that you're not quite on top of or... You practice sunscreening uh, just when it's stupendously hot. Uh, You'll hear from the Cancer Prevention Manager of the Irish Cancer Society about some pretty shocking statistics in relation to skin cancer in this country. And it uh, could be something that affects you uh, at home and on the farm and work. Over half of Ireland's farmers have been victims of theft And that's just the ones who report it. Criminologists at TU Dublin have done the research behind that particular stat. How many of you listening this evening would report a minor theft from your farm? If not, why not? 083 30 10 103. We're going to talk to the academics who spoke to farmers up and down the country on that one. And later this evening, you'll hear the latest on the Athlone Agri Show for 2023. The plans are finalised and it's looking like a bumper day. From what I understand, 2023 will see the return of cattle classes to the show. That's for the first time since uh, 2019. And the sheep sections featuring uh, the All-Ireland Breeders Championships for 2023 as well. Uh, there's loads more. Chairperson of the Athlone Agri Show, John Dolan, will be with us uh, with all the details. Right now, though, we're going to Vietnam via Blue Ball. You're about to find out about remote and rural Vietnam through the eyes of an Offaly farmer. Evelyn Gill comes from a farming family and will be well known for her, her, uh, for her organic farming in the region today. Uh, we'll get on to the Vietnam of it all very shortly. Uh, but let's hear from Evelyn first on her background and what brought her to this remarkable journey. So I've grown up in a dairy farm between Kilcormick and Blue Ball um, here in Offaly. And as part of growing up, I guess I just, agriculture was ingrained in me. And I went off um, to study agriculture, well, rural environmental protection at an agriculture college in England. And then as part of that, we, a lot of us went traveling around the world once we graduated. And I did woofing willing workers on organic farms in New Zealand for a bit. So I came home after traveling and started working as an agriculture consultant, but still felt the need to go back to college. So I went and did a master's in organic agriculture. And then one thing just led to the other. I came back home, started working with the organic trust as an inspector and set up my own advisory company as well. And then about 12 years ago, I got the opportunity to start farming myself and there was no other way I was going to farm. So I started first as a um, dry stock beef farm and then gradually converted that over to being an organic tillage farm. So at the moment, it's all down to organic tillage. Now I do have some of it in red clover lay because I've already had my three years organic oats in it. So it's in red clover lay for a bit before I put it back into organic um, oats again, probably. So yeah, it's it's varied. And also, I guess I share my skills a little bit when I teach for the National Organic Training Skill Net. So I also take farmers on the journey about thinking about converting to organics and what they need to do to change on their own farm to become an organic farmer. It sounds like you need to love what you do to be so fully committed, um, a vocation, a way of life. That's what we're talking about here, obviously. 
Yeah, listen, every day is a learning day. I learn from our farmers out there every single day. And we have amazing organic farmers around us in Offaly, like just out the road there, you've Pat Lawler, you've Aidan Walsh and Aidan Bracken, who do most of my actual contracting work. There's just amazing skills around. I'm learning from them and then sharing on the knowledge. I'm not the, the trendsetter myself. They're the guys doing it before me. Well, it takes a village, as they say, and... Um... I suppose when it comes to this type of thing, the more um, stakeholders, uh, the better in terms of progress. Uh, you mentioned that every day is a learning day. Uh, you were a part of an RTE series, Far Away Fields. Um, and I can only imagine what you've learned through this experience. Uh, lay out for our listeners this evening what it actually entailed from your perspective personally. Well, bizarrely, it's 365 days to the day when I got a first email where they were looking for um, a tillage, a female tillage farmer to go on this trip. So wow. I got an email and thought, well, that sounds interesting and agreed to it and kind of agreed to it, not knowing where in the world I was going and what <laughs> I would be getting up to. And eventually, after a couple of months, and actually I learned more at the vaccination clinic than I had at any stage beforehand as to where I was likely to be going. It wasn't until I was actually in Vietnam and actually walking in to meet the family that I knew exactly where I was. And all of that was kept away from me um, until it was literally happening in front of me. So, yeah, it was some journey. It was it, 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 the whole experience was just amazing from start to finish. It was exhausting. It was something that I'll never get the opportunity to do again. And I'm so grateful I actually got the opportunity to do it. Um, but yeah, it, it, I learned so much. Like I learned about myself, but I also learned how other communities cope with the stresses that's coming down the road and it's coming to them probably before us. Like climate change is, is evident the minute you walk out the door there. So yeah, it, it was a huge learning experience. You must be pretty decent at dealing with that low level anxiety that can restrict some of us to not know where you're going uh, up until the moment you're pretty much there. Um, how, <laughs> what was the experience like in preparing for something you weren't sure what you were doing? And that, I have to say, was probably my biggest fear because I am used to being the person who's used to controlling my day and, you know, has everything worked out ahead of time. I have a little bit of OCD in that, so I did have to trust the, um, the boys in that. And I have to say, Whitethorn Productions made that actually something that was very easy to do. They were such sound people. Um, there's very few other people I could do what I did for the two weeks. And literally, we were beside each other for the 24 hours a day um, for the 14 days there. One of the cameramen I only actually met in the airport. So spending a full two weeks with somebody that you only met in the airport was, I'd say, a little bit of a challenge. But you know what? They were such sound lads. Well, that's crucial, isn't it? When you end up with um, bedfellows, for want of a better expression, in terms of the work you're doing, and you don't know anything about them and this type of thing, uh, when you realise that you're dealing with sound individuals, that kind of gives you a sense of security and excitement just on its own, I suppose. Um, let's talk about your experience over there because the faraway fields concept is bringing a global, more global perspective, let's say, to uh, the practice of farming and you've obviously got a fascinating back-to-back -back comparison with what you're doing here in the Midlands um, and what you've experienced elsewhere, like you mentioned in New Zealand and, and somewhere as remote and rural in its own way in Vietnam. Um, what was the initial kind of takeaway in terms of differences? You mentioned 
there on the frontier of climate change, maybe. And what other things did you notice as well? Everything is different. Um, you arrive there and you realize when you're looking around, my goodness, there's no such thing as nitrates directives. Like the animals are all standing in the water all night long. Um, there's no fences. That shocked me. It was a few days there and I realized there's no fences anywhere. The animals are actually minded and herded and watched as they're grazing and then they get tethered to at night time to various different posts and bizarrely the same animals go to the same post each night to be tethered and then when we were at the market i was watching the animals um arrive in trailers when they were being sold and they're all tethered individually into the trailer and then they're tethered to places in the ground so we have fields where we have fences and we let the animals roll, roam and they can eat what they want and go where they want. It's very different there. I was slightly in shock when I saw live pigs in bags and they get brought home from market in on motorbikes in these bags and you can see their noses and their eyes through little holes in the bag. Like That was a bit of a shock to the system. And also you walk into a restaurant in the market and it was in the high 20s, like it was almost cooler than yesterday here in Ireland and the humidity wasn't as bad as it was yesterday. And there's all this raw meat lying out and animals are literally being butchered just the other around the corner from where they're actually going to be cooked. It's a very different society to what we have here. Um, but it's it's no worse or no better. It's yeah. just different. So, yeah, it was a shock to the sense of the market was a shock to the senses. Now, I have to say it's interesting, as you say there, it's it, you can't apply like a qualitative ranking here. What's better and what's worse, because it is just what it's it is. And it, it it's harmonized itself based on its own resources and, and what's available. So that's that's what you are confronted with. The makeup of a farm, who farms, um, how that's handled. Uh, I gather um, that was a striking difference as well. And the the, the, the role on gender bases are uh, very different to, to maybe what we're familiar with here. Yeah, well, it's a communist country, so um, they don't own their land. They can be moved whenever they want. And the community I was with was moved in the 80s and they had to start from scratch on the mountainside and build the terraces by hand. The men do do some of the initial labor of plowing and you do get to see me plowing, which I don't make it look easy. And let me tell you, it's not easy. Um, but I loved that experience. It was, it was the most enjoyable experience. I think of the whole, um, two weeks there for me. Um, it, yeah, they do that. But then after the ground is prepared, the women do absolutely everything else. Um, they sow the crop, they weed it, they harvest it. They carry it down, they trash it, they do literally everything and with very little help from anything mechanical or any sort of animal carrying it, they are the people who are carrying it. And watching young girls carrying um, sacks of rice that weigh more than they do was a bit of a shock to the system. Um, I was standing there in awe thinking, how do they do that and how do their bodies cope with it? There is no such thing as overweight um, people where I was. They just are burning energy nonstop doing what they're doing. And they do eat two proper full dinners a day um, when they're there. And I can see why, because the energy they spend just even walking up to the top terrace in the morning 
and we, we, we're up at six o'clock where um, breakfast is had and we're up on the slopes at seven o'clock and I'm sweating at seven o'clock in the morning because the humidity is just something else. Um, and we're not down until about midday. And in that period of time, there's no need for a bathroom because everything you're drinking is just sweating out of you straight away. So it's, it's very different to what we're used to here. When I'm harvesting here, it's make a few phone calls and feed the contractors, local guides to Tullamore. Actually, Aidan Bracken and Aidan Walter, I have to say, do most of my work. I feed them magnums and maybe cups of tea and my harvest is done in six <laughs> hours. We're over there. It was two solid weeks of hard physical labor. And some nights we were working well into the dark and being on those terraces in the dark, I have to say, is a little bit um, daunting. So I'm not scared of heights, but the, when it was got dark, I have to say I, I didn't enjoy that experience now. What about the landscape? Um, what's your immediate sense when you're within it in, an, in a rural setting there? Well, when I arrived, it was yellow and the rice was still, you know, to, to, the harvest had yet to start and it was just breathtaking. Everywhere you looked, you just wanted to take a photo of it. Um, it was absolutely stunning. It is mountainous, like we would not even consider farming at, farming out there at all on it. Um, as the harvest went on, you suddenly seen the landscape change to a more familiar colour to us. It was the brown of the stubbles, um, but it was still stunning. But you could see when you looked across the valley, you could see the terraces that had collapsed and you could see the work that needed to be done to repair you know, what's happened with the rains that had happened during the year, you know, so, but it is stunningly beautiful, but stunningly beautiful doesn't put food in the cupboard for the next 12 months. They have to be able to produce food on it. And that's, that's the issue there. There's just not the options to produce food like we have here. And the rice that I'm seeing is only for their own cupboards. It's not a commercial crop for sale. There is no local village store to go down and buy some pasta or potatoes if there's no rice. Um, this is what the community survive on for the next 12 months. It's um, you've painted a remarkable picture there, and I think um, it it'll probably transfer extremely well across uh, camera uh, when people are watching it on RT. Faraway fields, uh, Evelyn, can you tell us? Uh, do you know when uh, when it's going to be on our screens in terms of the series starting? Well, the series started last week. We had Johnny the fisherman from Cork. He went out to the Gambia. Um, I'm on tonight at nine thirty-five on RT One, and next week there's a forester who goes out to Brazil. Okay. So RT One nine thirty-five. Yeah, well, that's appointment television watching if there ever uh, was any. Um, Evelyn Gill uh, from Blue Ball in Offaly and of farmorganic.ie as well. I really thank you for taking the time to talk to us today about it. It's been fascinating and uh, best luck with everything in the future on uh, this side of uh, the hemisphere. Thank you. Yeah, awfully tillage farmer there, Evelyn uh, Gill. Really remarkable story over for two weeks in rural Vietnam with the uh, remote Lao Chi tribe. And that's on this evening, faraway fields on RT1 at 9.35 if you're able to pull yourself away from the wireless. Joe Cooney and Country Roads, of course, uh, coming up this evening. Uh, yeah, remarkable story. Uh, Evelyn's background, of course, she mentioned she comes from a farming family. Robert Gill uh, was her father. Many will know the name. Leading member of the National Farmers Association, of course, the IFA now. And uh, she was saying that he was one of the people who went to jail. She's got the letter that he wrote um, to her grandparents. 
February 28th, 1967. He'd been collected by the guards and brought up uh, to Mount Joy. I think uh, 60 or so were collected uh, to be jailed. They blocked a few roads previously. They were fighting the government for recognition on commodity prices at the time. Uh, there's a great line from Evelyn in some of the newspaper coverage of this series she's uh, a part of. Um, and that's the motto of her father. He works from about 8.30 in the morning until 6 or 7 at the age of 87. His motto in life is he wants to wear out, not rust out. And she says he's doing a good job of that. And uh, by the sounds of it, Evelyn's doing more than a good job on her end. Looking forward to catching that at some stage uh, this evening. Loads left on the show this evening. This is Country Life with David Hollywood. MJ Cleary uh, will be back next week. Uh, Coming up uh, shortly, we will be talking about skin cancer, uh, the dangers of not getting that factor 50 on when you're uh, working through long periods of the day, certainly under uh, this kind of sun. Uh, But after the break, uh, when we get our breath back, uh, we're going to be hearing about theft on the farm. Some pretty shocking statistics. I don't know which is more shocking, the amount of theft occurring or the amount of theft not being reported. Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tillamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. Now I think anyone connected with the farming community will know of this particular issue and it will feel familiar and that is the idea of theft from the Irish farm what might not be so familiar, what might be somewhat surprising is how Irish farmers are uh, dealing with this theft. Um, There's been some really good work, uh, research carried out by the Technological uh, University in Dublin. I'm very glad to say that Dr. Nicola Hughes, who's a a programme coordinator um, in criminology and a lecturer in criminology, uh, has joined me to talk about uh, uh, this work. Uh, Nicola, thanks very much for talking to us this evening. Oh, thank you. Um, so, remarkably, m- more than half of Irish farmers say they are victims of uh, theft where items such as firearms, equipment, tools, machinery, fuel and money have been stolen. So just in terms of the mass of numbers involved here, uh, that's a huge swathe of the Irish community. Um, yes, in total, 1,333 farmers replied to our survey um, and it was a completely voluntary survey um, and completely anonymous, um, which is great because you're never quite sure if people will reply to these surveys and these surveys are only as good as the people who reply. So yeah, the numbers were quite high. Roughly half um, had experienced theft from their farm within the last five years and about 18% had experienced theft within the last 12 months. And as you said, 11 participants found that a firearm had been stolen from their farm, which is quite high. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially considering the amount of responses that you got. Uh, What about the fact that of those who were victims of theft, 70% of them say that they uh, filed a report with Angarda Siakana, but nearly a third did not. Uh, What were the kinds of reasons uh, behind not reporting this? Um, the reasons were that some people just felt that it, it wasn't serious enough. Um, they felt that um, nothing would be done about it. And again, that's quite common when we look at all the, the kind of the, the, the crimes that people just feel that it won't be taken seriously, nothing will be done, or it just wasn't important enough. Um, and previous research has found, again, amongst the farming community, that sometimes people kind of dismiss these thefts or dismiss these crimes as not being that important or as being quite minor. And that's why they don't report it. Um, And that's a massive issue because if we're trying to 
establish the true extent of crime amongst the farming community, then we need everybody to report it um, and not to kind of censor themselves in terms of going, oh, well, it's not that important or nothing will be done. Because if we don't have the information, then nothing can be done. Yes, that's a really important point to dwell on for a second here is that whilst theft in Ireland, uh, theft of farming equipment in Ireland uh, and the farming community having things taken from them is a really big negative. Uh, the other negative here is that if it's not reported wholly, then to co- come up with policy and resource and funding to tackle the issue is is a bit like uh, grasping in the dark for the correct answer because you just don't know what you're dealing with in that instance then. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, you know, crime against the farming community, it's not categorised as a separate category um, with our crime statistics, which means that, again, we just really don't know the true extent of, of this type of crime, which is a huge issue because as researchers, you know, we like to be able to try and find out, establish to establish patterns and trends to see if things are changing. But if we don't have the information, we can't do that. So definitely one of the things that a positive thing would be if crime against farming community was treated as a separate category within the crime statistics and that if more studies such as the one that we conducted could be, you know, could be conducted every couple of years, then it just means that we have more and more information on which, as you said, to base policy and to try and, again, try and give kind of farmers and farming community information and tips on how they can look after themselves um, and how they can prevent these types of crimes from occurring. So, just based on the work that you've done uh, from speaking from your perspective, Nicola, would you be calling for plenty more studies and academic research to be done, a recategorization, as you say, um, of this particular type of theft so that farming thefts are, are categorized and counted properly? And then there probably needs to be a discourse now between Ungarda Síochána and the farming community to encourage them to report anything that's happened on their farm, no matter how small. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think overall, you know, the attitude towards members of the farming community towards Ngarda Shikona was quite positive and that people did tend to have a good attitude. But the fact that so many participants didn't feel that anything would be done, that obviously is, is kind of a negative and that is something that we need to work on and to improve so that, again, no matter how small or how insignificant it is reported. Um, and again, that's something that that came up again in the study that a lot of the participants felt that even just having contact with your local guard was a huge factor because a lot of them just felt that they didn't know their local guard anymore. So they had lost that connection. So, again, I think that is a conversation that Angarda Siakona need to have with farming communities. So how that they can kind of bridge that gap. Bridging the gap is a great way of putting it as well, I think. It's hard to know sometimes when certain resources are scaled back on and there was lots of coverage in the media in previous years about how the rural Garda station had been uh, marginalised, closed down or restricted. And and, and the real world effects are that the connection between um, law enforcement and the community, in this specific case, um, the farming community, it it can break down and, and discourage people. And it was I think uh, I'm right in saying 60% of the participants in your research uh, said that um, they'd like to see Gardaí having a dedicated unit to deal with farm thefts and rural crime. So uh, the desire for a, a reconnection or a connection is obviously still there in the farming community. Absolutely. And it, it came out in, in many ways in the survey that people just felt that they just had lost that connection. And that obviously is part of the issue of why people don't report incident of theft or farm crime. Um, 
because they just don't feel they know their local guard and they don't feel that it will be taken seriously, which may or may not be the case. But if that's how people feel, then they're not going to report it. So you're absolutely right. I do think there needs to be a conversation um, in terms of how we can improve that relationship because everyone who had contact with Angarda Shikona felt that it was generally a positive relationship. So, you know, those relationships do matter. Yeah, it's... um... It's one that isn't a short term fix by the sounds of it either, but it's uh, really good that there is uh, research being done and uh, work being published, such as uh, the work done by yourself and Dr. Uh, Matt Bowen in this particular instance. Um, Following on from what you've seen then and what the respondents have had to say in this uh, piece of uh, research, uh, what do you think is the single biggest priority uh, going forward to address the issue of theft on the farm? Well, I I guess it's kind of trying to start that conversation with farming community and members of Ungarza Shiakona. And it's also trying to work with farmers in terms of what they can do to protect themselves. And, um, you know, again, a sizable proportion said that they knew that marking property was a good thing to do, yet very few of them actually did it. So again, I guess we would feel that it's one of those things that how can we encourage farmers to do that? How can we make it easier for them um, to do that? How can we give them that information to allow though to allow them to make those steps and those changes themselves. So again, I think that's an important kind of part of this whole process that people feel safe within their homes, um, and they have the information that they need. Yeah, can't quibble with that, Doctor Nicola Hughes. You've been very good with your time uh, to speak to us on Country Life this evening. I much appreciate it. Great, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks to Nicola Hughes there from TU Dublin uh, looking at uh, theft on the farm. And uh, if you're in any doubt of its uh, prevalence, a cursory Google search of Midlands 103 and farm theft uh, shows instances from October in 2022, May 2023, July 2020, October 2019, uh, another occasion, October 2019. And we're talking about serious equipment being stolen, uh, firearms being stolen. Uh, it is widespread across the region. We had um, someone on from Blue uh, Blue Ball earlier, Evelyn, Evelyn Gill, a farmer there. And um, again, just... Uh, an instance coming up in Blue Ball where a a quad bike, a quad bike trailer and a shotgun were all taken uh, from uh, uh, somewhere in Blue Ball. Uh, That was back in October of uh, late last year. It does go to show it's prevalent. A man in his early 20s has been arrested as well as part of a guard investigation into a spate of farm machinery and livestock thefts. And that was in West Cork and Kerry in late uh, last year and early uh, of this year. But the, the amount of stuff taken, absolutely shocking. Um, approximately €110,000 worth of farm machinery, including a tractor, a slurry tanker as well, and livestock. Uh, so as was underlined by Nicola there, you can't put a price on safety. And maybe that's what uh, previous governments have done by uh, restricting the resources of Vanguard Shia when it comes uh, to rural Policing. What is your perspective and thought on this? 83 30 10 103 or studio at midlands103.com. Still loads left in the show at uh, this Wednesday evening. You're listening to Country Life with David Hollywood, MG Cleary back uh, next week. As we're well aware, the weather has been phenomenal. Maybe you're a farmer who can take a tan. I, I certainly can't take a tan, so I know well to be factored 50 from head to toe. Uh, but 
taking a tan, not necessarily a good call. You're going to find out more very shortly. Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tullamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. Now, as I'm sure everyone's noticing, we've got uh, remarkably warm and often sunny weather. Uh, the general consensus is that uh, Irish people need to take care of their skin. Uh, but be you Irish or anything otherwise, uh, UV um, sunlight can really bring uh, cancer risks. And maybe one of the groups most at uh, risk are those who are most exposed to the outdoor elements. Uh, so those working in agriculture and generally across the farming sector. And uh, maybe it's something they need to be specifically conscious of. I'm very glad to say that uh, Kevin O'Hagan with the Irish Cancer Society joins me uh, just to maybe run across uh, some of the uh, do's, don'ts and uh, the, the, the logic behind what we're talking about. Uh, John, thanks very much for taking the time to talk to us this afternoon. Hi, David. Uh, well, thanks very much. Um, it is really important uh, to remind people, particularly during this heat wave, of the dangers of UV radiation and, and the risk to, to, to skin and, and, of course, the, the, the risk of, of skin cancer. Ireland now is the highest rate of skin cancer in Europe. We have over 13,000 cases, which is a very preventable cancer in that uh, we can take steps to protect our skin, obviously uh, keeping in the shade during these, these days, really important, wearing, wearing the sun cream and, 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 and really protecting the, the, the skin and the eyes and the, and the head with the hat and that. So very basic steps um, to protect your skin. But as you said, farmers obviously are at a very high risk. Mm. One in four skin cancer deaths in Ireland are from that construction, outdoor and farming industry. Wow. So that's a real worry, yeah. So they are obviously exposed to about two or three times more UV radiation than than people who work indoors. So certainly farmers are at high risk of of, of skin cancer. One in every four is a huge number. Um, Obviously that goes beyond farming into construction and as you say, those outdoor occupations. How receptive have you found the farming community uh, to uh, the kind of information campaigns that... uh, yourselves and uh, others have uh, launched because obviously with this kind of data it's logical to reach out and and do what you can to raise awareness uh, when it comes to these issues. Are farmers receptive uh, to this advice? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, farmers are very aware of, of the importance of protecting their, their, their skin and their health, obviously. Um, you know, but of course, we, we've still a lot of work to do. We need to keep reminding people because from research we did recently, um, people often forget, you know, to bring uh, sun cream with them, for example. 30% never remember to have sun cream available mm. and about 20% never remember to buy it. And I'm sure farmers are no different from that. So it's just about preparation. Of course, during a heat wave, people are always very aware of it. But throughout the year from April to September, we would be encouraging farmers, you still need to be aware of the, of the UV coming through those even cloudy days where the skin can still be damaged. And if you're getting sunburned uh, once every couple of years, it can triple your risk of melanoma skin cancer. So we really need to remind people not to get sunburned particularly, you know, for children as well, the importance of, of not getting sunburned because the damage to the skin and the DNA in the skin can obviously lead to, to a higher risk of skin cancer later. So, yeah, I mean, farmers have been very receptive to the message. Uh, we just need to keep reminding them, obviously, because people do forget um, and, and it's just being prepared, particularly during this, this hot phase. 
Yeah, I think you've touched on something very interesting there. Obviously, it's crucial that people avoid getting sunburned. And I think maybe oftentimes uh, in this country, we're guilty of having a look up at the sky, seeing a few clouds and going, ah, sure, I won't get burned. It's not that bad. But as you say, the UV UV is what what we're concerned about here. And it is something that um, is not necessarily affected by uh, a few clouds in the sky. The other point uh, I think is probably worth touching on here is mm. a lot of farmers listening might be saying to themselves, no, look, I, I, I take a tan when I take the sun and therefore I, I, I'm, I'm going to be grand. But even your skin getting tanned in the first place isn't necessarily a, a positive really, is it? That's, yeah, that's the concern. You know, I think people have that myth that tanned skin is, is some sign of health. But in fact, we would say tanned skin is damaged skin. And about uh, uh, about three quarters of the population have very fair skin here in Ireland. And so we burn very quickly. Um, so, you know, even if your skin is getting tanned, it's still being damaged. And there's some DNA damage there in the skin, which, again, can lead to, to long term problems. And, and, and obviously, the risk of skin cancer increases. So we would be encouraging people to, to avoid the tanning even, you know, um, and, and, and to, to be very careful. You know, as you said, even the cloudy days, we did some research at the Irish Cancer Society and we noted that from April to the September, 90% of the days, even in those cloudy and very often cold and windy days, the UV is still coming through the clouds uh, to damage your skin on 90% of the days. So it really is important to, to be protect your skin right from April to September um, and, and to avoid that, that uh, as I said, you know, the, the skin getting damaged in any way. Yeah, safety on the farm is always a hot topic, but uh, maybe this is one we can fold into the mix with uh, uh, those other kind of machine-based safeties uh, and that type of thing is is to make sure that when you're out working um, that you've taken the necessary yeah. precautions, particularly around this time of year. I think, obviously, David, it's just about being prepared and, and from, you know, in the morning getting out there, but having the proper clothing that covers the skin, you know, making sure you have that wide-brimmed hat and the sunglass is really important because obviously, you know, the, sun, the eyes can get really damaged in the sun as well. And, and uh, there's a high risk there of, of, of even uh, cancers on, around the eyes and that. So that's important. And having the sunscreen and, and applying it, you know, plenty of it and regularly every couple of hours, um, no matter, you know, how, how high the factor is. And we would encourage a high factor, especially for men and, and farmers who are working outdoors, uh, of 50 plus uh, SPF. That's really important. But again, as they put plenty of it on and put it on before you go out uh, and repeat uh, putting it on. Yeah. Kevin O'Hagan with the Irish Cancer Society. Thanks for talking to us this evening. Thank you very much, David. Thank you. Yeah, Kevin, the Cancer Prevention Manager with the Irish Cancer Society. Let's just uh, finish this part of the show by highlighting once again his advice and the Irish Cancer Society's uh, advice. Um, essentially from April through to September, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., UV rays are your main danger when working outdoors. Uh, shade is your friend in that regard. Covering up, uh, wear a shirt with a collar, uh, long shorts if you can, a hat, a wide-brimmed hat, as you heard, wrap around sunglasses to protect the eyes, Don't be afraid to slop on the sunscreen. And if you're perspiring, uh, you're going to need to reapply it at least every two hours and maybe more. Uh, Obviously, 
the weather's there to be enjoyed uh, but certainly uh, we want people uh, to be safe while they're doing so because Ireland does have issues when it comes to skin cancer and, and it's borne out in the statistics. Next up we are going to be talking about this year's Athlone Agri Show and it sounds like a standout one. Country Life on Midlands 103 brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tullamore supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands worshaw.ie a very good evening if you're just joining us. Welcome back to the programme if you've been with us since 7 o'clock Country Life here with David Hollywood. Uh, we are moving on to talk about this year's Athlone Agri Show. Uh, it takes place uh, this Sunday and uh, from early enough in the morning uh, you can uh, get involved with the family. I'm very glad to say that the chairperson uh, of uh, the Athlone Show uh, joins us. That is, of course, uh, Councillor John Dolan. John, how's the form? Uh, bad. Not, not so bad now. Me, me voice is a little bit croaky now, but not so bad now. I'm going grand. Okay, good. Fair play. Um, we won't. Uh, we won't. Uh, get you to talk too uh, for too long uh, here. Yeah, okay. Uh, okay. But um, a good chance to highlight uh, what looks like a really impressive uh, lineup in terms of uh, the Athlone show this year. Uh, in, in specifically, uh, what you guys have tried to bring to the 2023 renewal. You might talk us through uh, what uh, those who are familiar with the show uh, might uh, notice is a bit different this year. Yeah, I, I will, uh, David. No, I suppose um, uh, it's probably one of the one of the, the biggest shows I'd say we're going we've ever had, and um, I suppose that we're hoping that there's something for everybody, and we've a few new uh, different things in it this year. But I suppose um, we're back in in Garnafella, which on Michael Dunhu's farm, which we were there for the first time last year. Of course, we lost a couple of years with COVID, and uh, so we're back there last year, and the next year it turned out to be an absolutely excellent site. Uh, we bought a 40-acre field and we have everything in the one field, which it turned out it was really brilliant last year. And so everyone that was there was really impressed with it. Um, so I suppose we've we have a few new things and a few things that are back from old. Uh, I suppose, look at we've, uh, we've, we've, we have horses. We have a large entry of horses. We have over 100 uh, horse classes, which is probably... One of the biggest shows outside of the yes, uh, David. That would be a show in and of itself, really, John, wouldn't it? Absolutely, and, and it contains uh, quite a few uh, qualifiers for the RDS. So I think we're going to have uh, equine from all over the country, really, uh, because there's very few opportunities to qualify for the, for the RDS, and That's we're very brave. lucky to have a number of those qualifiers. I suppose we, we have uh, cattle back, which uh, was... I suppose controversially it wasn't in the show for a few years mm. and we decided we'd, we'd make an effort to get a small cattle section back. So we have we have Harvard and Angus and, and we also have a commercial section. And uh, look what it is. It's nice. We have nice few entries. And it's nice to, to have it back in the show because I always felt as, as, a, as a farmer myself, uh, it's, not, it's not fully right without having the full range of of what would be on a farm in the show. Yeah, 100%. So, uh, and, like, and in terms of, I mean, I'm, I'm just looking at the competitions list here. Uh, it, it's it's nearly never-ending, uh, if anyone, uh, from any sort of agricultural or farming or rural background, uh, they could compete in something here. Well, absolutely. I mean, you know, I mean, there's something we hope. We hope there's something for everyone here. And uh, look at please God, we'll have a day like today and uh, things will be, that uh, the, the sun will, will uh, shine uh, the forecast is not too bad for the weekend, so it's looking fairly good. Uh, I suppose we have our sheep and dogs back. And we have a new thing, uh, we have poultry in this year's show, which is usually a, a big interest for even people that's not uh, from an agricultural background. You know, 
uh, a lot of people would, would be very interested in that. Uh, we have uh, art, cookery, photography, competitions. Uh, we have food village. We have best best dressed lady. Now, um, I'm not going judging that. Now, we have a few judges to do that, all right. <laughs> and uh, there's, a, there's a wine port voucher for the winner of that. And, um, you know, and suppose then we have, we have live music. We have a local band here, uh, Streetwise. Uh, a lot of people around the, uh, this area would know them be excellent. And I suppose one other thing that we've we've added to your show is we have a free bus service uh, from Golden Islands in Athlone out to the showgrounds. Uh, we feel that that might just help uh, people from town. Yeah. Also people that mightn't feel like driving out there, they can go in and park in town and get the free bus out. Uh, that will be slapping in the fair green as well. So it'll be going every hour on the hour from 11 o'clock in the morning. Do you think, uh, looking towards the future, John, that that would be something that could be developed more and more, that um, if we can if we can bring people uh into these shows as it were and lay on more and more public transport it uh, could be a kind of a virtuous circle where uh, you're getting far more uh, families far more people who, who might uh, struggle to, to get into the car in the first place and ultimately as you say make this more and more a show for everyone Absolutely and I, I suppose you're just, we'd be conscious of a number of things by now this is a new one we hope it goes well and I want to thank you Rohan has been very good with us uh, in providing the bus but um, I suppose um, from a number of uh, angles, there's people that might have a card where they'd like to go to the show. Uh, they will be able to avail of this. And also, I suppose, from the environmental point of view, I suppose the Shows Association are quite um, mad that they want to try and reduce their carbon footprint. So this is a, a part that we can, we can do, play our part in that. You know? um, in terms of people then going, if they're listening in this evening and it occurs to them, uh, it's just occurred to them that it's on this weekend, um, <laughs> uh, getting tickets, uh, you, you can buy them actually at the show itself? Yeah, yes, yeah, you can. You can pay on the get going in uh, with the people there uh, collecting money. We won't refuse money, I can guarantee you. Um, <laughs> that was my next question, so, of no, course. We'll... <laughs> so, look, there's, um, there's a family ticket there and... Uh, uh, it's good value for 20 quid there's 15 for and children are free so children are free into the show so uh, we've always had that uh, even in the past because we feel it's important like it's a nice we'd like it to be a nice family event and I suppose you know the, the way things are now uh, with the cost of living and everything like you know there's very few times that can go and mm. you can bring your kids for free well, and John- uh, I think between between Hopefully the equine that. equine classes, the food, the music, uh, it is a, a show with something for everyone and all the family, and a pretty reasonable uh, uh, ticket pricing structure from what I'm uh, re- reading here for what you guys are laying out. I wish you all the best for it, and uh, thanks for taking thanks our call this evening. David. And thank, thanks very much. I appreciate that, David. Thank you. Cheers, John. That was John Dolan, the chairperson of the Athlone Show. It takes place this Sunday. Get down this weekend uh, if you fancy it. We're heading next to the Midlands 103 newsroom. MJ Cleary's back uh, with Country Life uh, next week. And Joe Cooney's going to be in this very seat just after eight. 